On Guido Talks this week, we focus exclusively on Flatgate, Sleaze and John Lewis. Stick around. Hello and welcome back to Guido Talks, where from now on we plan on focusing on big issues per episode. And this week, of course, it is inescapable uh, to not talk about ongoing Flatgate, a term first coined uh, in the thick of it, uh, life imitating art as it always is. Uh, And the bigger question that we focused on this week is, does Carrie Simons hate John Lewis? Well, I think we should clarify something about the whole John Lewis thing. The the whole John Lewis nightmare uh, phrase first turned up in an Anne McElvoy article in Tatler a couple of months ago, and she attributed it to someone from the May era. So the words came from Anne McElvoy's very elegant hand, and not from Carrie Simmons' mouth, which I think is something that's missing out. On, I think it was Wednesday morning, there was a coordinated load of tweets from Labour MPs basically saying, if you don't like John Lewis, you must be really snobby because most people do shop at John Lewis. And in fact, today, Thursday, uh, Boris... Uh, in a pulled clip, said... If there's one thing I object to in this whole uh, farrago uh, of nonsense, is I have anything... I'd love John Lewis. And the fact is, there were pictures in the Daily Mail, of all places, when Carrie Simmons first moved into Downing Street, of quite a big shipment coming in from John Lewis. Boxes covered in John Lewis. You know, a whole a whole trailer pallet full. So the idea that... Um, you know, snobby Carrie and Boris don't like John Lewis, is a misnomer. And I think that is the thing that is most cutting through about this, that they didn't like their John Lewis furniture, not who paid for it. And we, we did look into old clips of what the Downing Street flat looked like. And I think under Theresa May, it was a bit, uh, you know, upmarket, you know, Midland Hotel sort of thing that you might stay in at a party conference. Uh, but of course, the wider issue is actually who paid for this uh, massive uh, renovation work. Um, I think Simon Walters first reported it in the mail many months ago, and it's obviously come back to light surrounding the whole sleaze cronyism claims that started with the David Cameron Greensill stuff and Labour are really running with, because it's frankly their only um, cut-through that they've got on the media since the vaccine rollout in their mind has been going so disappointingly well. Um, and the question is, where does it go from here? Obviously, the Electoral Commission are investigating. What's going to be the punishment? What's Boris actually done wrong? What do you reckon? Well, first of all, let's establish what the possibilities are of what has actually happened. I think we're all agreed that the unlikely thing that's happened is Carrie said, we need to do up the place. Boris said, here's a blank cheque and 60 grand <laughs> and uh, went ahead. If that was the case, then I'd have to say, why doesn't he just say that? So clearly something between uh, having the works done and where we are today wasn't quite as it should be, I imagine. And the working assumption is that Lord Brownlow um, uh, chipped in and there was talk about having a uh, Downing Street Trust to pay for what is a national building. It's a publicly owned building. And, uh, you know, I think Chevening has a trust. I think Chequers has a trust. The White House certainly has a uh, well-funded endowment. And so it wouldn't be irregular for what is uh, a private house, which, by the way, 
the occupants. It always struck me as amusing that it's not a benefit in kind that um, uh, the prime minister pays rent to live above the office. <laughs> I, you know, I, it's a bit odd, but uh, it seems reasonable that they could do that. But to do it in retrospect after you've had the money, not a smart move. And that I think is possibly is going to come a cropper if there was some kind of you know, paying of money or the Conservative Party paid it and Brownlow made a donation. Anything like that is going to be awkward, even if at the end of the day, Boris stuck his hand in his pocket and paid for everything. I think awkward and, you know, a slap on the wrist is possibly where we're going to head to here. Um, I think with other Prime Ministers, you might start talking about reputational damage. But Well, I'll go easy. This could go gets a spiral out of control. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when a Lord Mandelson, remember him, um, <laughs> got a loan from a party donor to pay for his mortgage and had to resign. Mm. Uh, I, I think a, I saw that in a it was, Tory note it was that was briefed, going around. Yes, yeah. it was briefed by CCHQ to Tory MPs, and they said, they pointed out, Lord Mandelson was forced to resign from Cabinet after failing to disclose a loan. So obviously they were briefing that at the start of the week as a, a counter-attack against Starmer. And that is really going to come and bite them in the arse. As counter-attacks not... go, it's like <laughs> shooting <laughs> the it foot. Really I'm not have. sure that was the best counter-attack line. Um, but it, what I'm saying is it could get out of control. Stephen Bush in the New Statesman um, this morning made a very interesting point that perhaps the Electoral Commission, which is likely to say that the Conservative Party, is, if, if it's as bad as possible, so the Conservative Party's made a mistake, non-decoration, £20,000 fine, which is of no consequence mm. whatsoever to a party machine. But the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner, another commission, will take a different view about non-declaration and could be worse. And if, if the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner was so brave as to um, suspend the MP concerned, who happens to be the Prime Minister, for 10 working days or 14 days, you could get a situation where they, uh, you could demand a recall. Yes. You know, there's a recall law <laughs> which is enabled by a 14-day suspension yes. um, brought to Parliament by Zach Goldsmith, of all people, coincidentally. Um, and you could have a situation where Labour gets enough signatures in Uxbridge... Mm. To demand, and then demand that would be very dangerous, oh, especially in Uxbridge, to a complete mess because uh, he's only got a what's four thousand majority or something. I think um, the the press have been very very keen on this, but at the moment there doesn't seem to be any sign of actual cut through with constituents. I spoke to numerous uh, MPs and candidates, and obviously there are these massive May elections coming up, and they are all adamant that it just is not coming up on the doorstep yet. So maybe the John Lewis thing will cut through. But the problem is that because this is a quote-unquote scandal that originated from an already fairly difficult story about Cameron and Greensill lobbying, then went through to civil service second jobs, then went through to Boris Johnson's own role with Dyson and text messages, and now we're on to the flat. You know, it's left most people behind in the mud in terms of comprehension. I think, I think not the viewers. If you're, if you're interested enough in politics to watch a politics podcast, <laughs> you're probably not the normal uh, voter out there. So I think most people have just picked up there's something going on. And as usual, they'll take the view that, oh, they're all at it. It's no great surprise. Mm. And if it turns out, as I'm sure it will, that Labour also have done 
some fishy things, and the Tories will be keen to highlight that. Uh, the voters might take a view, like they did in the um, 2009 Spencer scandal, that they're mm. all wrong and they all, they're all at it. No surprises there. And with Boris, we have someone who people are forgiving of because they just think, well, it's Boris. And uh, the normal rules of politics do not apply to Boris Johnson. Yeah, if they were going to go after someone who cuts corners and is a bit slapdash with detail and protocol and following the rules, you know, they've been trying that on Boris for a decade and it hasn't stuck. So uh, it's pretty desperate, again, that they're trying it. People always say, don't count uh, don't count Boris off from a, a comeback. I'm sure he probably will do. I don't know what you mean, a comeback. He's he's 15 points ahead of, <laughs> of Starmer as preferred Prime Ministerial I think, choice. I think it's also interesting that I think one of the issues is going to be the Electoral Commission because they already have a pretty bad rap, especially with Tory oh, supporters yeah. Yeah, and yeah. voters, especially after what they did to Darren Grimes, for example. I mean, a lot of people already perceive them as quite a left-wing, anti-Brexit establishment cabal. So Boris may be able to play it off as a, as a badge of honour in a year's time down the road. If I was, if I was in CTHQ, what strategy might I adopt? I would probably tread water till May 6th, after the elections. And then I would try and get the absolute truth out there pretty quick, which may well be, oh, we did think about this, then we realised it would be a breach of the rules, and uh, we paid for it ourselves. I mean, by we, I mean Boris. Mm. And, and then people go, oh, is that it? Well, fair enough. I think that's probably the strategy. I'm, I'm interested if there might be another bear trap further down the road, because we talk about Boris eventually reaching into his own hand and paying this off. The question there is, where did he get this cash from? Because readers may remember a few oh. weeks ago, there were a number of reports about Boris being quite skin. And that is very believable because he'd gone through a messy divorce. Oh. He's got child payment, maintenance, private schools, lost his telegraph column. Where's he got this 50k from? Well, there is a rumour going around, which I have not stood up. And I have no idea if it's true or not. But this is a rumour, might as well, if we don't report uh, <laughs> speculative rumours, who will? That he... Um, touched up his father and Rachel for the 50-odd grand, his sister Rachel, for the money to pay for the decorations, which it would be keeping it in the family and would not be unheard of. Uh, you know, the bank of mum and dad is not unused. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. I, I, someone was telling me, someone was explaining it to me, that Churchill got into financial difficulties mm. and had a whip round to the tune of what in today's money would be a million quid yeah. or something ridiculous like that. And I'm pretty sure that uh, prime ministers in the past have gone off to bankers at normal high street banks, mm. coots or whatever, and borrowed the money on the grounds that they'd be good for it after they left um, Downing mm. Street, where they do generally have quite a good capacity to earn. So you'd have thought his credit would have been good. He could have just gone to... Um, mm. You know, I understand there are very good deals on mortgages at the moment. So you could... You could uh... <laughs> well, of course, we also know that uh, Boris recently started, uh, became a landlord when he put his old place in Oxfordshire to rent on the market. Yeah, so he's right. obviously needing these income yeah, streams yeah, at the yeah, moment, yeah. and he's, he might be having to pay some I mean, I think he probably didn't get a great deal. Uh, as someone who is also married to a barrister, <laughs> I've often thought that divorce would never be worth it. Not that I would ever think of that, darling. <laughs> It's not even, a, not even, not even, uh, I've never occurred to me ever. Move on, quick. 
Well, that was the week that was. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. As ever, uh, if you want to watch the podcast, you can do so on YouTube. If you want to listen, we are on all good podcast streaming platforms. See you next week. Goodbye.